old people who don't get to go to Children's Church. Would you take your Bible out and let's turn to Matthew 11. Take your Bible, hope you have it with you. Matthew 11. Uh, we, don't, we don't put Bible verses up on the screen on purpose. We want you to carry a Bible, make notes in it, draw lines from here to there, show correlations and things like that. Hope you'll do that. I'd like to begin this way uh, this morning as we have some time to talk about the Word of God. We're going to be in Matthew 11, 1 to 6 uh, together. And I want to begin by uh, reading about uh, an actor that I'm sure you're all familiar with uh, in Hollywood, an older actor. And uh, somebody interviewed him, and I want to report to you what he said. He's talking about life, and he wants to know about uh, life, and he wants you to know about life from his perspective. 83-year-old actor Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar for Best Actor in 2021, so that's very current, at the Academy Awards. In an interview soon after, he was asked about what it, what it is to be happy. How is a person happy? What makes a person happy? Well, here's what he said. The irredeemable past. We can never go back. The sadness of life is that we go on. We're born in this world. And at the end, we leave, and you think, what was that all about? My life, at the end of it all, I don't know what it is. What is it all about? Is there meaning in it? So what makes me really happy in life? And what makes me happy is what makes me free. Is the feeling that nothing is of that much importance, that's what makes me feel free. We're pretty insignificant little dots in our vast universe, he goes on to say. Life is important only because we choose to make it so. And that's the freedom I have. Freedom from worry about this or that or the other. You know, being significant, all that stuff, but there's finally nothing to prove, nothing to win, nothing to lose, no sweat, no big deal. And that's my philosophy. Ask nothing expect nothing and accept everything that's it he told a struggling young actor once enjoy it just do it you can either do it or you can't if you can't it doesn't matter who cares finally in the end now uh, the guy that reported this chris heath uh, said this about what anthony had to say hopkins enjoys happiness in life's meaninglessness <laughs> Is that where you're at this morning? You know, do we enjoy life because of its meaningless? No, we don't. We don't agree with anything the man said. Uh, Chris goes on to say, uh, that's, that's to me happiness to acknowledge that I know nothing. I'm insignificant. It's all meaningless to me. And it's a bit of fun to have a little bit of acclaim and success of, of achieving things. Like, for instance, Anthony had just won the Academy Award. It's fine. Enjoy it while it lasts. We know nothing, and that comes back to me. I know nothing. I do not know anything. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a fatalistic view of life, and if you don't have anything to live for, what are you living for? If you don't have any goals, what, why, why are you around? If life is nothingless, and you just do your best while you're here, enjoy it, have fun, in its meaninglessness, uh, then that's all there is. Well, there are different ways to look at disappointment. Anthony seems like a man to me that is very disappointed in the way things have gone in his life. Uh, and yet he's, uh, he's been a highly acclaimed actor all of his life, basically. 
Anthony, his way is not a good way. It's not something we should take to heart. It's something we should lose out of our heart if it's there. Giving up hope on meaning is the incorrect way to go. It's not the biblical way to go. It's not what God wants us to do. But I don't know uh, in life where else would you go if you're just a realist or an atheist or an agnostic. Where else would you go to find meaning in life if you don't know Jesus? If you don't have God in your life, there is no meaning. There is nothing worth living for. This, this world is all there is then. And so it uh, used to be that ads, grab all the gusto you can get because that's it. And what you die with, that's all you're going to get because that's all you had. And that's fatalistic. It's uh, realism gone bad. It's atheism uh, where God is not a part of life. Well, there is meaning to life. Anthony just doesn't know that it's Jesus. This life is all there is if one doesn't know Christ. And that equals no hope. I don't know how you can not know Christ and have hope in the world. You're just living for the next day, the next time you can have fun, next time you can be with your kids or your grandkids or anything like that. Uh, The point is, there are times in life when it looks like a lot of effort has been spent on something and it turns out to be not worth it. Or it appears that it was the wrong direction to have been going. But friends, for Christians, that doesn't mean there's no meaning in life. That doesn't mean we don't have a goal that we should stick to. Our brother in Christ, who's now in heaven, uh, we call him John the Baptizer, would know exactly what I'm talking about this morning when he wondered if Jesus was really the one that we're looking for. Uh, Is Jesus really the Messiah? And he had these uh, doubts, if you will. And this morning, I'm talking about us when we wonder if Jesus is the one he's supposed to be for us. Is he the one who's doing what we want him to do? John wanted to know, are you really the Messiah? Or or are we looking for someone else? Is there somebody else that God is going to send? And if Jesus is the one, John is thinking to himself, it's not supposed to be like this. Like what, John? Well, I'm in prison. I am incarcerated for sharing the gospel of Jesus and preparing the way for the Messiah. And so he wants to know, he sends his disciples because he can't go because he's in jail. Would you go ask Jesus, are you the one or are we looking for someone else? And I'm sure the bars around John or the dungeon, wherever he was at in prison, had a lot to do with his perspective on life that day. It is a perspective from the inside of a prison cell. It's a, it's a, it's a perspective from inside the joint, we would say today. And you don't see things very clearly inside that. Now, I want my comments to go towards uh, what we're going to be reading this morning. So if you have your Bible, let's look at chapter 11. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 6, so follow along with me. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, remember he's about to send them out on a mission, and he's given them instructions what to do. He goes on to say he departed from there to teach and preach in their city. So he's sending the disciples out. Jesus leaves from that place. And he's going on his own mission. He's doing his own mission work, all right? He's going to be out doing work while the disciples are out working somewhere else. Verse 2. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. So immerse yourself in the context here for just a minute. John is sitting around, let's say, staring at four walls. Uh, In those days, prisons were not well kept. It wasn't a vacation. It was stinky. It was smelly. It was horrible. And it was not a nice place to be. 
He's imprisoned, and uh, he heard of the works of Messiah, Christ. And he sent his disciples with a question. So if your perspective is all of a sudden limited to a small room with bars in it, uh, it can change the way you think about things. I'm just trying to set this up so that you're not too hard on John. You can think, well, John, you're the one that prepared the way for Messiah. Why are you asking questions at this time in your life? What's wrong with you? Well, maybe in prison it changes your perspective a little bit. Anyway, and said to him, this is John's words proclaiming to Jesus in verse 3, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? So he's basically saying, are you the one that's supposed to be coming that I'm preparing the way for or is there someone else? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. So John's in prison. His disciples are able to come and visit him, and he says to his, uh, his disciples, Go ask Jesus if he's the one or if there's somebody else. So they go to Jesus, and they ask Jesus the question that John sent them for. And Jesus answers in verse 4 and said, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, Jesus' answer is, go tell John, you see the things happening that Messiah is supposed to do. And then in verse 6, and then Jesus says this. Okay, John asks a question, are you really the one? He's been tainted a little bit in terms of his desire to be free, to be a part of the kingdom of God on the outside of prison, to be helping Jesus set up this great kingdom that Jesus said he brought, and it's not working that way. It's not an answer to his prayers, basically. And Jesus says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not get offended over me. Well, uh, let's look at this uh, together in detail. I'm going to take verse 1 by itself. And there we learn that Jesus instructs his missionaries, that's the disciples, and then continues on his own ministry. So there's a parting of the ways here. Jesus is going to go to some places, and the disciples are going to go to other places. And here the disciples have been getting the idea that, and we need this idea, it is not necessary for Jesus to be physically present, for them to be successful in their ministries. All right, now Jesus was physically present with them, but he's sending them out on a, on a mission, two by two, and they're going to go out, and they're going to carry the gospel, and they're going to say the message, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and be saved, and they're going to go out, but Jesus is going a different direction. He's not going to be with them in this ministry. And sometimes we wonder where Jesus is when we're working for him. And we need to understand that you don't need the physical presence of Jesus. He's always here with us spiritually. You don't need the physical presence of Jesus at every point to be successful in what God called you to do, whatever your ministry is. He instructed them. And that term for instruct was used of attaining order in a military group. It means to put something in order. So Jesus has been giving instruction He's putting things in order. Here's what you can do on your mission. He told them what they could take, what they can't take. Told them what they should do when they're out there. If somebody does not receive you and that town is against you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. It'll be a witness to them in judgment when judgment day comes that they didn't accept Christ. 
And if they receive you, put your blessing on that place. So he, he's got everything in order. Jesus is ready to send them out. I don't know that they feel ready to be sent out. You know, sometimes uh, when we're called to do ministry, we say, Lord, I just don't feel ready. I don't think I can do this. It's above my pay grade. And then God brings somebody like Moses to your mind. He says, Lord, I can't talk. I stutter, stutter all the time. How can you send me? And God says, got the solution. I'm going to send your brother Aaron. You know what's amazing about that? Uh, I don't remember Aaron speaking once for him. And in all the Old Testament scenes with, with Moses, he is speaking very eloquently, and he's getting the message out because God's with him and God's helping him. And that's what God does for us. We have all these excuses. God doesn't want excuses. He wants action. Jesus not only instructs us what to do in ministry, carry the gospel, care about others, but also what kind of person we should be and what kinds of things we should do as believers. How we live is important to Jesus. That's why he spends so much time telling us how to live. How we live affects what we will do for him or what we will not do for him. The Lord says, I take clean vessels for my use. In another passage in Timothy, I take clean vessels for my use. The ones that are dirty and filthy, I have a little trouble using them because they're dirty and they're filthy. So the way we live our lives matters to Jesus because Jesus has things in ministry he wants us all to do. I often wonder, who got paired up with Judas? What kind of a ministry is that? You got one guy on the team that isn't even a believer. And I can tell you from experience at a different church I was in, uh, if you have somebody on your board that isn't even a believer, you've got problems. Uh, that's why we make sure we only have uh, believers as best we can who join the church because they're going to be making spiritual decisions. And we want truly spiritual people to make spiritual decisions. Our issue is, what has God called us to do and what has he gifted us to do in our ministry? The 12, we understand that. Jesus went through with them what they're supposed to do. What about us? What about our mission? What did he gift us to do in our ministry? It also teaches them that while they are ministering, Jesus is also carrying out ministry at the same time. You ever think about that? Uh, how much time do we give to ministry every week? How much time do we give to following God and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ? Does it ever occur to us that our partner, Jesus, <laughs> is never on break, never is not doing ministry, never not doing anything? Jesus is never taking a vacation from who he is, never taking a vacation from ministry. We do all kinds of things. We don't minister as much as he does. And I want you to remember uh, that we also need to keep in mind that Jesus is always working. He's always ministering, and he wants you to be involved in it. Now, that uh, doesn't mean we can't sleep and eat and have a little fun with our friends. I'm not saying that, but I just want you to think about that because we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Well, this is our situation today as well. We have been instructed on mission that he left us at the end of this very gospel, we have been out to a spiritually, sent out to a spiritually dying world. If you want to look at that with me for just a minute, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We'll get there someday uh, in our study of Matthew, but I want to jump ahead. Here's the last thing that Jesus said uh, that Matthew recorded. All right, now, he's going to ascend in Acts 1.8, so Luke is going to record that. But this is how Matthew thought he ought to leave his book. This is the last thing he wanted you to have in mind uh, when Matthew quit his book, he said, Jesus told us, Go therefore, 
make disciples, and by the way, you make a disciple by leading them to Christ first, then they can be a disciple. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah, Jesus is with us right now. He's with you when you go outside and run into somebody that you want to minister to and share the gospel with. As you carry out your ministry through the church or Bible studies or whatever you're doing, Jesus is with you and you're on mission. That's what he told us to do. What I want us to be doing when Jesus raptures us is the ministry. Still trying to reach people for Christ. Still trying to help people with their issues. Still trying to help them find God and live that way. And if that's what we do, we're going to be right where God wants us to be when he comes to get us. Jesus isn't with us now physically, certainly he is spiritually. And just like the disciples, we can go into ministry too. Jesus' ministry seems to have been targeting the cities where the disciples were from. Notice what he said. He departed from there to teach and preach in their cities, the disciples' cities. You know what Jesus is working as you are working. He's working for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ, and that's what we're working for. And as you work, he's working. So consider this. I said I'd talk about this in a couple of minutes. Here it is. I want you to understand that Jesus is setting up ministry for you and for me. Jesus is busy setting up future ministry for you. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be you know, a part of it? Are you going to take, take the uh, uh, spiritual bull by the horns and, and make a difference? That means this, that Jesus already has in mind, he is setting up for you people he wants you to talk to. He's making certain contacts he wants you to have so that you can use those contacts to reach others for Christ. He set certain dates with you with other people where you're going to get together and meet with them for whatever reason. There's always a spiritual reason. Understand Jesus gets people together, contacts together, dates, and he makes times work out. Sometimes he doesn't do things the, the day and the time I want him to. And then, you know, I just have learned, okay, what's your day and time, Lord? He gives me another one, and that turns out just to be perfect. He's also already set up angelic aid to be there with you when you're keeping an appointment, when you're doing what God told you to do. The angels will be there to give you aid. You might have demonic angel there that wants to uh, derail what you're doing. You're not alone. Jesus is with you, angels, God is appointed are with you, and then there's his own intervention for you and your direction for you. And I'm talking about ministry. Did you ever think about that? Have you ever wondered, is, is God making plans for me tomorrow, next week, you know, however he's doing it? Yes, he is. And he's going to, let me say it all at once, he's going to get the right people, contacts, dates, times, angelic aid, his intervention and direction for you, if that's what you'll do. You want to do that? You want to be there for that? He's already setting it up. You just have to show up and, and do ministry. I hope that encourages you. <laughs> You're not out here alone. You're not on your own. Jesus is working things out. Recognize the opportunity that he gives you. Recognize what he's doing and how he set it up for you. I think it's wonderful. In verses 2 to 3, John's in prison. Now we switch to John. We learn that complications with expectations of Jesus causes the believer to question who he, that is Jesus, really is. And that's John's story at this point. 
Now, there's no need, really, I don't think, to sugarcoat uh, this question of John. You know, why would John ask a question like this? Come on, John, what are you thinking about? Or to try to make it somehow seem ultra-spiritual. John was a human being. He had problems, like he's in jail, he's in prison. Probably not getting fed very well. The cleanliness is out, out the window on that. It stinks in there. It's horrid. It's putrid. This is not where John thought he would be. He's helping Jesus. I, I prepared the way for Jesus, John says. Jesus comes. He's the Messiah. He's going to set up a kingdom. And I'm in prison? Maybe I, got, maybe I have the wrong guy. I can understand that. He had preached that the Messiah was going to judge the world. Matthew 3, verse 10, he preached that, but he's not seeing it. Do you ever think God's made a promise to you, but you're just not seeing it? You read something in the Word of God and say, well, Lord, that's, that's what I want, that's what I need, and then you don't see it? Well, that's where John's at. He was a member of Messiah's kingdom, and this is not where he thought he would be in the process of the kingdom coming. I am guessing... Okay, so it's not, I didn't find, read this in the Bible, that he probably thought, this doesn't make any sense. Perhaps he didn't understand who Messiah was. That's what he's thinking. Uh, this is not where I thought I'd be. This is not what I thought I'd be going through. Lord, something's wrong here. Maybe I have the wrong guy. I understand that. So John asked the question, are you the expected one? Well, what did John expect? Well, if you turn back to a couple of places, Psalm uh, 118.26 I, I believe we could all agree, most likely, John was a man of the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He knew what it said. And he knew what to expect for Messiah because the Old Testament talks about Messiah, you know, everywhere. So Psalm 118, 26, John knew stuff like this. Blessed is the one who, can't, can't, who comes excuse me, in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. Jesus said, I came in the name of my Father. Jesus said, I came in the name of Yahweh. John knew that, but it's not turning out the way that he thought it should. Another one that we're going to read, we'll refer to it later as well. Isaiah 61.1. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So in the Hebrew text, the Spirit of Yahweh Elohim is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim, in verse 2, the favorable year of the Lord. Now, that's the first advent of Jesus Christ. The next line in verse 2 is, has to do with the second advent. So there's a, a big eschatological switch there. So I stopped there because we're talking about the first advent. John knows this stuff. And he looks around. I don't know how far he could see. Maybe it was a dungeon. Maybe you can only see the wall. And it sure doesn't look like the favorable year of the Lord is upon us. There are a number of things that the Old Testament lays down about Messiah, what he would do. I just picked a couple of places. John would have known a whole lot more. And in order to keep the church a mystery in the Old Testament, it often appears that the first coming of Jesus is followed immediately by the second coming, which is what happens in Isaiah 61, 2, after the first verse, but it does. The Father did not apparently reveal his whole plan for Jesus to John. Interesting concept. <laughs> John, yes, you're in prison. You don't understand. You don't know. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't, you don't see the big picture. But God does. 
And this is true of what God revealed to every prophet of his. Another place to look for that is in 1 Peter, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Let me read verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, carefully searching and inquiring, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. As the Spirit of God led them to write all these things down in the Old Testament, they were just, we'd say, dying to know inside, who is this guy, where is this guy, when will he be here? Seeking to know what person or time, in verse 11, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, Peter says to his crowd of the diaspora, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Ooh, things into which angels long to look. They don't even get the whole story. So friend, when we're asking God for something, we don't get it. What makes us think We've got the whole picture. We don't. So he sends some disciples to go to Jesus and ask him if he was really the one they're looking for or is it someone else that John is not aware of. And John may have been asking why there was no kingdom, no judgment of the, of the wicked if Jesus, the Messiah, is really the Messiah. Well, we leave it at that. It doesn't tell us exactly why. In verses 4 and 5, back in Matthew 11, Jesus is going to say, you go back and you tell John what you see and hear me doing. What are you doing? Gives us a list. Blind people are seeing again. Lame people are walking again. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And they uh, have, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Everything in the Old Testament that it says Messiah would do is what Jesus is doing. Tell John, I am the Messiah. I'm doing the works of the Messiah. So in verses 4 and 5, Jesus' works indicate that he is indeed the Messiah. Jesus' answer in verse 4 to the question from, the John's, from John's disciples to return to John and tell them, what, what did you witness here when you watched me? In your hearing and seeing concerning my ministry. So they've apparently been there some time with Jesus while he is working. John is not ignorant of the teachings of the Old Testament, Jesus relies on this fact uh, when, when he sends John's disciples back to tell him, what did we see? What happened? The point is, uh, what the Old Testament predicts about Jesus is literally happening in real time with Jesus, even though John's in prison. That doesn't mean the whole of God's program for Messiah is going to happen in John's lifetime. He missed that part. He's expecting the kingdom. That's what Jesus came for. And the kingdom was not set up literally. So he's, he's got some questions. And God answers the questions with, I don't tell you everything. You don't need to know everything. What you need is faith to follow me. Now, he's told us a lot of stuff, but he didn't tell us everything. That doesn't mean that the whole of God's program for the Messiah is going to happen in John's lifetime. We are still today waiting for some fulfillments in our day, we hope, 
of what God said in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2b. Those things haven't happened yet. Here are the evidences that Jesus is who he claims to be. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. Dead people are being raised up. Poor people have the good news preached to them. Wow. Another reason Jesus was upset with the religious leaders of his day. They don't care about the poor, apparently. Did you know <laughs> that the priests, when they went to the temple, and then their, their, place, their places were up on the hill, these immaculate mansions in those days, and between the temple and these houses are just these dirty, ruddy little Jewish people that have these little houses that don't amount to anything, and they're poor people, and heaven forbid we should walk through that kind of filth to get to our home. So they built a bridge across it. So we don't have to go there and, and you know, mingle with those kind of people. <laughs> Just what you expect a servant of God to do. Right? Wrong. This is messianic reality. It is exact fulfillment. I want to read one other passage I'm sure John knew. In Isaiah 35. Certainly welcome to go there with me. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arab of the south country of the desert. The scorched land will become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. It is a haunt of jackals. Uh, is a, it's a resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. The whole point is, John, it doesn't get any more real than this, Jesus says. I'm the one. And that's what his disciples go back to tell him. He's doing what Messiah is supposed to do. Perfectly. Exactly. No one else could have done that. Maybe, maybe John, you don't have the whole messianic timeline under your control. You certainly don't. Can you trust God here in jail? See, God has plans for me. He's already set it up. John's going to lose his head because of a dancing girl. I'm not going to get out of prison except, we would say, in a body bag, except his head's going to be on a platter given to this jealous woman. And that's God's plan for John. And he didn't know what else there was. So in verse 6, Jesus makes this comment. He says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Which kind of gives us a little bit of insight into what John was thinking. The Messiah will bless those who don't take offense over him. Mm. You can be offended by Jesus before you get to be a Christian and after you get to be a Christian. It's a danger on both sides. Offense in the text means to be brought to a downfall. And here, to refuse to believe Jesus is who he says that he is. Jesus will bless those who hang in there and believe what he says and who he is. Have you ever, now we're going to get personal, right? Have you ever had expectations for Jesus in your life and he didn't come through for you with what you expected of him? Jesus, I prayed this, I prayed it every day for 20 years, and it still has never happened. 
Maybe you're not the God you say you are. Maybe you're not as powerful as you claim. I don't know what your problem is, but I didn't get what I expected. Now, maybe I've overstated that, but have you ever had that issue? He turns out not to be what you thought he should be in your life and what he's supposed to be doing. God, you let me down. It's like, Jesus, I I thought you were this way or that you would do such and such, and you didn't come through. When that happened, did you think that he let you down and maybe he wasn't who he said he was? As in his power, his sovereignty, his ability, his care, and his protection? I want to share an illustration with you. There's a young man that's in a boarding school. You know, there's supposed to be some high academics there, you know? And he's in this boarding school. He's only 15 years old. Think if you were him <laughs> and you get this letter from your mommy. His mom writes, Dear son, I have much to say to you. I am afraid of a not of a pleasant nature. You know, darling, how I hate to find fault with you, but I can't help myself this time. Your report, which I enclose, is, as you will see, a very bad one. Your work at school is such a fitful, inharmonious way uh, that you are bound to come out last. Look at your place on the form. Your father and I are both more disappointed. (laughs) Uh, You say, oh, it's a terrible letter. Your father and I are more disappointed than we can say that you are not able to get up for your preliminary exams. I dare say you have 1,000 excuses for not doing so, but there the fact remains. My dearest son, you make me very unhappy. (laughs) We're supposed to be building up our kids, you know, self-worth and all that stuff. You don't hear stuff like this today. We need more of it. Dearest son, you make me very unhappy. My only consolation is that Your conduct is good, and you are an affectionate son, but your work is an insult to your intelligence. If you would only trace out a plan of action for yourself and carry it out and be determined to do so, I'm sure you could accomplish anything you wished. It is that thoughtlessness of yours which is your greatest enemy. I will say no more, but son, you are old enough to see how serious this is and how the next year or two and the use you make of them will affect your whole life. Stop and think it out for yourself and take a good pull before it's too late. You know, dearest boy, that I will always help you all that I can. Your loving but distressed mother. How? Here's my point. That kid was 15 years old. He was in the Harrow School, boarding school when his mother, Jeannie Churchill, wrote him. (laughs) Who is this? Winston. (laughs) Did you ever look at Winston and think he's a big failure? I think think what happened was that uh, mom's not happy with her son, but she jumped the gun on Winston. The story had not been written completely yet, right? Are we really so smart that we have a line on the exact program of God in every detail of our life? The answer is no, we're not. Jesus is sending a message to John, just because you're not getting what you expected, 
does not mean that I am not who I say I am. Trust me, John, and you will be blessed. Hmm. So, friend, when Jesus doesn't do as you expect him to do, maybe it's time for us to step back and let him be God. Trust him with what he's doing. Even if all you can see is the uh, four walls of the jail cell, trust him in what he is doing. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And we're none of those things. We don't know the whole program, so we should let God be God. And I mean in little things in life and big things in life. And we should be thankful to God. John had forgotten to factor in the response of Israel to God's program, which changed everything for the plan because Jesus was rejected. Do you and I know the minute details of God's program, even for our own life? No, we don't. Do we know he's preparing things for us to do, and he's setting up appointments and dates and people and sending his angels, getting them ready? Yes, we know that. We just need to be faithful and show up. And it may not be where God, uh, you know, where we think God ought to have us. It may not be what we think God ought to be doing with us, but that's not really up to us. We don't know the story, not from beginning to end. So uh, when we look at our applications here, I want to encourage you and me, trust Jesus, even when he doesn't do what you think he should be doing. That was John's problem. Trust Jesus, even when you don't think he is doing what he ought to be doing or what you think he's going to do. Secondly, trust Jesus, even when you don't get it in terms of what you think should happen and doesn't. See, I think this passage is teaching he will bless that kind of faith. He will bless that kind of faith. And then, number three, don't, don't abandon who Jesus is because you or I don't understand what Jesus is doing. Which reminds me of a man years ago who came into my office and I was trying to give him answers that Jesus had for his life. He didn't like any of them. He was mad at God. God had let him down. And his goal was to go try a cult in the occult. Maybe they have the answers he's looking for. They didn't. They don't. But it was all because Jesus wasn't performing for him the way he thought Jesus ought to perform. Let that not be us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this word because I'm sure the majority of us have had that situation in our life I pray that we would just be faithful and let you be God, and we'll just be your servants. We'll just be faithful to what you told us to do, and for those appointments that you have set up for us, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, this week, sometime, just help us to remember, you're never late to an appointment. You will always be there, and we can count on your help and the help of the angels you send to minister to us as we minister to people. And I thank you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.